and I guess I do have a mantra, right project with the right partner. And I think if you've got mm. an IP strategy or a strategy generally, then you know who you might want to work with for what project type. So, you know, when to use academic institutions, when to use um, commercial organizations or operators. And always, you know, even back in the traditional engineering space, there's always been a thing from my sense that, you know, a partnership or collaboration is only as good as the relationship between those parties. So, you know, um, it's got, you've got to make it work at the operational level as well. And Adam, you you know, in your journey with AZ, obviously, you know, you said at the beginning you've done sort of quite a range of different sort of deals and partnerships of, you know, you sort of found along the way that sort of you've refined a bit on, you know, the partnering, sort of the partnering choices or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's very much like Jason said, I think it's about choosing the right partner at the right time and being very open and I think again just a recognition that you may be coming from different starting points I'm, I'm sure if Jason and I were to do a deal between Aiden and GSK it, it, you know I'm sure we have our challenges but you sort of both know the rules of the game and how how these things work in the pharma world whereas I think when you're faced with AI technology providers it, there may just be a different expectation I think where, where I've seen it work well is rather than have a very traditional, again, farm approach where you're going straight into deal mode, drafting term sheets, redlining documents, you almost take a step back from all of that. And I've had a couple of deals where we just spent a day ideating, whiteboarding stuff. You know, lawyers weren't allowed to really say anything, but but just to sort of level set, okay, this is what we're trying to do, this is what we're trying to achieve, this is the roles of the parties. And that's incredibly helpful because otherwise you can waste weeks and run up lots of uh, lovely lawyers' fees just doing lots of drafting for, for the sake of drafting. So... I think having that kind of cultural fit and, and really focusing on the, the quality of the collaboration rather than the quantity and just trying to get X number of deals done, I think that that's really key, I'd say. From the sort of slightly other side of the fence, it, it's sort of when you're, you know, looking to partner with a, a, a farmer or biotech company, what, you know, what's on your wish list? You know, what, what are you looking for from a partner? Well, actually very much the same sort of things from the other side of the table. I mean, there's very little value in us doing a deal that is misaligned either conceptually from a uh, from a commercial perspective or where there just isn't that buy-in from an internal team um, you know this the, these deals I, I think are you know excluding the the just straight fee for service ones are going to be long-term collaborations you know we are seeing a 10-year journey of, of going from the beginning of a project to, to putting a project on market. And, you know, there are going to be, as we've mentioned, lots of complexities along the way. I think, um, you know, we, we look for collaborative long-term partners who are excited about working with us, where we're excited about the science that they can bring, where we're convinced that, you know, this project is going to remain on the priority list because that's how we get our milestones and, <laughs> yeah. and royalties at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's many of the same things. I, I, I think it's it's an area where we're we're very very aligned. I, I mean, obviously that that is a challenge, and you know, for any um, you know technology, if you're you're giving licensing IP or, or anything, that to make sure that the licensee has actually done something, it doesn't you know sit on on the IP. I mean, obviously, you know, you need the people there. You feel that there's encouraged that you obviously have contractual protections. Mm. Do, do you? You know, you, you, do you look at clawback rights or certain fields of use to preserve themselves, or you know, or is it? 
you know, it, it, certainly the the the, um, the fields are very are scoped as only as broadly as they need to be. Yeah. So you know, rights to use outside of those areas, particularly in secondary and tertiary indications, which we've become very good at identifying. We'll expose those to the original partner, but if they decide not to take them, then mm. we'll be free to to use those. But I mean, the other thing is to align incentives. So one of the tools that we're using is um, an annual fee to retain an option to to yeah. use this. So it, it aligns the incentive to push that through the development process reasonably quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you know it's meaningful, but not particularly punitive from a yeah. farmer budget perspective um but it it does start to focus the mind that turning a seven-year project into a three-year project would have a distinct advantage and adam are you seeing quite a lot of optionality in your deals yeah Uh, yeah very much so like like steve mentioned in terms of whether it's target selection or reversion rights uh, again you know i think you just need to build in that agility to the collaboration particularly when it's going to have quite a long time horizon so yes fully agree so just seeing how this is sort of evolving and you just picking up on the point that you, 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 you're all mentioning about having a bit more of alignment of the meeting of minds of sort of traditional tech and, and, uh, and farmers sort of, you know, seeing each other's perspective and becoming more, um, you know, more aligned and more the sort of similar mindsets. I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting, you, Jason, particularly because you're bringing a lot of this in-house, how that's changing the sort of the recruitment and the sort of you know how you 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 know how things are going back i mean you said also you you're opening up for a, a, a recruitment for a, a big section of, of sort of engineers and, and things in this space i mean is it that really changing the dynamic in in, in the organization well, not in the organization i'd say but maybe there's a new component to the organization that doesn't think and breathe in the same way as traditional farmer just by the nature of who they are and also our team certainly in London, is not based on a GSK site. They're where someone's worked out they want to be to attract talent. So I think there is a big thing in this space. If you want to recruit, you almost have to sort of make yourself attractive. So you don't say, go and work in Stevenage or Brentford where everyone else works. And wear a tie. (laughs) Well, you know, I made that mistake on day one 20 years ago. Don't don't wear a tie in the office anymore. But... um, (laughs) Our group is based in St Pancras Square because that's where YouTube, Google, DeepMind were around the corner, if maybe they still are. So it's just an extra thing to think about for a company like ours. You're competing. There's a supply-demand issue here. And actually part of our strategy is also thinking about what can we do as a company to let those who may be looking for jobs in this space with the right talent and skills no, give them a flavour of what we're doing in the public domain. So that's part mm-hmm. of the strategy as well, to, to let some things come out in the public uh, domain rather than keep it all secret squirrel um, because that may, you know, make someone more inclined to come and work for us. Um, I think there's also just got to accept there'd be a high churn in this space uh, mm. because of the supply demand. Um, just in nature of the beast, after three to five years, itchy feet, Let's go and work for Facebook or mm. uh, fintech, and I, I think a lot of people in this field will have a, a wide ver- of, and varied career over thirty years. You know, you know, GSK traditionally, and the same with AstraZeneca. When I remember back to my days when it was Ast- when I was at Astra, a lot of people with a twenty years plus career, and maybe 
we'll still have that in certain parts of the organisation, but maybe less so in the tech side of the mm. organisation. But, I mean, just coming back to the original, so I think these people, you know, there's an agile mindset and they want to work in an agile wa- uh, way. And that's, you know, a bit of an anathema to traditional pharmaceutical um, and also, when you think about who you're trying to make deals with, uh, you know, you know, pharmaceuticals are very oversubscriptive, the Rolls-Royce type model of doing a deal. And I guess some of the AI type companies can't get their head around it. They just want a deal to be done as soon mm. as possible. So there is that tension. But I think if you come back to the IP as well, um, you know, traditional pharmaceutical thing is to rely on patents heavily. But if you're going to have an IP strategy for AIML, Patents aren't necessarily the go-to IP tool. One, um, it's not easy to get patents in this space, or certainly for the core subject matter because of of the prohibition on patenting of computer programs and the US case law. This is software at the end of the day. It can be done anywhere. So, yes, even if you did get patents in 20 countries, well, there's another 50 countries someone could actually deploy this in. So... You're looking more at sort of contractual and technical protections. Trade secrets could be something you rely on heavily. But do the people involved in this space on the AIML want to actually take the steps necessary to lock those things down as a trade secret? Because they're more of an open-minded, open access all areas, not outside the company, but across the organisation. So if there's 100 people in your AIML team that can see what everyone else is doing, well, where does that leave you standing from a trade secret protection mm. perspective? And then you couple that back to the churn when people leave after three, five years, well, where are they going to? So it could yeah. be a competitor to you in the pharma or in the AI space. Yeah. And, and Stevie, you're um, presumably the companies like yours are after the same talent. In fact. Uh, absolutely. It, yeah. uh, it, it, uh, it causes me no end of grief when Accenture raises a ton of money and wants 140 new people. And GSK has a wonderful new uh, headquarters in St. Pancras Square and we're stuck out in Oxford. Um, no, I mean, in, joking aside, there, there are ways and means of, of dealing with that. I mean, as Jason said, not everybody, with the, you know, with the greatest of respect, not everybody wants to work for a for a pharma company. You know, some people like startups; they like mm. um, that sort of profile of of company. And I, I think um, if you are able to tell a great story um, to you know to to bright young talent, um, and increasingly, if you can if you can find a way to articulate the difference that you're aiming to make, you can, you can. I mean, we have been very successful at finding really good people um, in the, in the space, even though we can't compete with Facebook or Google in terms of the salaries we offer, not, not even close, but people want to make a difference. You know, they, they want to come to work and feel that the work that they're doing will genuinely benefit patients at the end of the day. I think that's very important. Like, we can't compete, I'm sure. Um, so it's, a, I guess it's about what does that person want to achieve with their career? And yeah. actually, if they're going to have a dynamic career, there's plenty of time to work at Google and Facebook and to work for life science um, yeah. to feel yeah. you've made a difference. 